What's up, y'all? Welcome to Young Adults tonight. Hope you guys are having a great week. I'm excited to be here. I know um, Tuesdays is always something I look forward to. Uh, man, we've been in this series, What Would Jesus Undo? Uh, and so we're gonna continue in that tonight. And Jared's mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, what would Jesus do? Bracelets were kind of popular. Some of y'all still might have one. But like, what would Jesus do? We're talking about what would Jesus undo? And so I wanna invite you, if you have the Version Bible app, you can go ahead and pull that out. If you click the More tab on on the Version Bible app, you can actually go to events and you can follow along with us tonight. We've got all of our sermon notes uh, included in there and I would invite you all to follow along with us. And I wanna tell you something that uh, you might not realize when you get married and that's this, is that there are some people, all right, this is premarital counseling 101 here for you. There are some people who clean and there are some people who tidy, okay? And I happen to be married to my lovely wife, Emma, who is not so much a cleaner as she is a tidier, okay? Uh, and I wanna tell you, when uh, my wife tells me that I have this, she calls it cleaning mode for me. So when we start cleaning at our house, I'm like SEAL Team 6 up in there. I'm directing orders. We got everything going. I'm deep cleaning. I've got like the scrub brushes out and we're getting after it and we're cleaning. Where she's like irritated by that. She's like, let's just straighten it up. But I'm like, no, we actually have to clean what's happening. But you pair that together. It's a pretty good combination. Uh, we have clean and tidy. We keep a pretty neat house. And uh, as a 30-year-old guy now, okay, and dad of two, I take pride in how my garage looks, okay? It's just something that happens to you as you get older. Uh, as you have kids, like suddenly the way your garage look, uh, looks matters more to you. So just be prepared for that. Um, my garage is fairly neat, minus all the different kids' toys and everything else I have in there. Um, but I've noticed that uh, I have this window in my garage and I spend a lot of time in there. Like I said, I got my, like my workout stuff in there and all that. And uh, I just spend a lot of time out there. And I notice this window in my garage. I'm like, oh, that's like not the cleanest thing ever. Uh, and, and so I kind of notice there's a spider web on it and it's got some cobwebs. But then one day, like, like I said, I'm in cleaning mode and I'm getting after it, all right? And I go into the garage, I'm like, I'm gonna shop back this off and everything. And as I look at it, what I realize is that this window is actually like filthy and I'm embarrassed for myself. I'm like got paper towels, I'm Windexing this thing down left and right. I'm shot back and stuff off of it. And I see that this window is super dirty and it kind of like there's cobwebs, there's like six or seven spiders on it and it's going up and it's going towards the end of my garage. And I'm like, holy cow, how did I let this happen? And what I realized is that um, when I actually started to look at it, it was much dirtier than I actually thought it was, okay? So I, I actually started to look at it and I realized, man, there's like, there's like more here than meets the eye. And as I started cleaning up, I noticed it was a little bit of a problem. And I wonder if sometimes anxiety and worry are like that for us. You know, if you're in here tonight, you've probably experienced anxiety, worry. Maybe you're sitting in the middle of it right now, whether you just started a new job and you're in that post-grad stage of life or you're someone who, you're in your freshman year of college and it's like stressful. You probably have sat in some anxiety and worry. And I think sometimes we can just brush it off and be like, it's not that big of a deal, but it actually is a big deal. When you really stop to look at it, it might be more there than meets the eye. And so when you came in tonight, many of you got a, a little index card as you walked in the doors, and if you didn't, uh, I wanna just encourage you to take out your phone, a piece of paper. I actually wanna challenge you right now, if you would, okay, would you just go ahead and write down something you're worried or anxious about? Like what is the number one thing in your life right now that you're worried or anxious about? Maybe you're like, I don't really have anything. What is something you've thought about repeatedly, okay? 
What is something that you've like mulled over and thought through? Would you go ahead and write that down on this card? And so um, I want to. I want to. I think it's important that you know what worry and anxiety. Are. I think it helps anytime we have a problem or we have something we're facing, we need to define what it is. And so I would say this, anxiety, and this is the way I've heard it explained and I think it's a good explanation, anxiety is really the feeling we get whenever we experience the emotion of fear. Like it's our response to something we're fearful of. And then worry, worry is more of a thought process in which you give power to the object of that fear. Worry is that thought process in which you're mulling over and thinking through something, giving power to the object of your fear. I would compare it like this. Perhaps you're on the job hunt and you're on the job search. And so you have kind of this sense of anxiety of like, what if I don't get a job? I need a job, right? That's like anxiety. You have this fear of like, what if I don't make enough money to support myself? Which is like a legitimate concern. And that's like anxiety. That's like an an anxious feeling. But what worry is then is you're taking that and you're like, well, what if I don't get a job? And then you start thinking about, well, I have this interview this week and next week I have this interview and you can't sleep at night because of it. And you're thinking through, well, what if I mess up? Should I wear this? No, I shouldn't wear that. I should wear that. And you start thinking through all these different things and suddenly it's starting to control your thought process. That's kind of worry and anxiety. And it's important that we address these things because scripture, God's word tells us, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. We need to address, I'm here to say that like it might be a cobweb, like what you've got in your life, you might need to address that in your life. Timothy Keller, a pastor that I really like, has two quotes on worry and anxiety. The first one he says is, worry is not believing God will get it right. Worry is not believing that God will get it right. And bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Bitterness is believing God got it wrong. He also says, it takes pride to be anxious. I'm not wise enough to know how my life should go. I'm not wise enough to know how my life should go. And so I think we've got, uh, you know, really, when, when we think of anxiety and, and, and worry, sometimes it feels like five-pound dumbbells, okay? Uh, and, and it's like, you could sit here all day and you feel like you could hold these, you know? Some of y'all are like, oh, it's lightweight for me. And it's like, do you lift, bro? I don't know. But uh, you're, you're like, this is light for me. That's, that's nothing. And if you hold on to this for a while, it's like, that's cool. Imagine you're going around all day with it. You had to hold it out, Right? you're gonna get tired eventually. And so it seems like not that big of a deal, right? It's just five pounders, but that anxiety and that worry you're hanging on to, eventually, guess what? You're gonna get fatigued. This is gonna start feeling a little bit heavier and a little bit heavier, and you're gonna be tired and worn out. And so I think what happens oftentimes for us is we hold on to something long enough, and then it's like, oh, these are 40s, by the way, okay? I'm not, this is hard for me to hold this, so I'm just gonna let you all know. If I drop one, front row, look out, it's coming at you. These 40, like that five pounds can quickly become, someone also take a picture of this, you can't work out anymore without posting it to Instagram, so throw that on my story later, okay? Um, these 40s, right? That if we don't address the five pounds, that's funny, some of y'all posted today even though you worked out, you know? Um, these five pounders, like these, they, they, if we don't pay attention to it, things can start to get real heavy for us, can't they? And what happens is if you were carrying around 40 pounds, like this, this much anxiety and weight, what's it gonna do? 
Your body is gonna start breaking down. You can't hold on to this forever. And eventually that's gonna cause you to break down and to crumble. And I think anxiety comes in a lot of different ways. Praise God that this table just survived that right there. That table's gonna stay up all night. Uh, I've just been panicking. I'm like, what if that table just like collapses while I'm speaking? That'd be real bad. Uh, but, it, but it made it through. Um, and so anxiety, right, can kind of feel a couple of different ways. But it doesn't matter where it is and what it looks like, those things are gonna become a problem for us. And so I think what you need to do tonight is to evaluate where do I have worry and anxiety in my life and what is causing it. And the title of this message series is What Would Jesus Undo? He would undo the worry and the anxiety that you have in your life. Can I tell you tonight that that is not God's plan and purpose for your life, is that you would be worried and that you would be anxious and that it would start to affect the way you live your life. What I wanna do tonight is I wanna look at the life of of a guy uh, in the Bible named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul was uh, a man who I think really understood worry and anxiety, and we're gonna get to that in just a second. But if we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, so if you're in the book of Acts 7 and 8, what we learn about Paul is that this guy was an enemy to the movement of Jesus. So Jesus has come, he has lived a perfect life, sinless life here on this earth, that people then took him to the cross and he was killed even though he had no sin in his life. And then he rose from the grave three days later, overcoming death in a form of victory, right? And after that, he leaves his disciples, he leaves his followers to spread his message, to spread the church, to build the church, to grow the church. And what happens is this is not an easy time to be a believer. After Jesus is gone, the church is under intense persecution. And one of the main guys who was persecuting the church was this man named Paul, right? Formerly Saul, his name has changed to Paul. And Paul is persecuting the church. When Stephen in Acts chapter seven is stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus, he is actually like the first Christian martyred and killed for, what his, belief, for his belief in Jesus, at least that we have recorded in scripture. Paul is standing by and people are laying their, their cloaks by him as they stoned Stephen. So Paul, is, he's in there supporting it. He's a leader of this movement that is going on. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, it says that Paul was actually like ravaging the church. You might come in here tonight and think you got some stuff wrong in your life. And you, you, you probably do. We all do. And you might think, man, this Jesus thing's not for me. The story of Paul should give you hope. Because what happens in the book of Acts right after these stories where Paul is uh, breathing murderous threats against the church is what happens is he's on the road to Damascus. He has what we now call as a Damascus road experience where he's traveling to Damascus. He's persecuting the church. And suddenly on this travel, a bright light shines in and he's blinded and he can no longer see. And he cries out and he's like, Lord, what's going on? And it's Jesus who responds to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment on, Paul's life is forever changed from that moment on. That because of this crazy encounter he has with Jesus, his life is forever changed. Paul goes on and he goes on to go uh, undergo three missionary journeys um, for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, most biblical scholars would say that he traveled over 10,000 miles by foot alone on these journeys. 
And then on one of these journeys, he spent over a year and a half at a place called Corinth, all right? It was a city, uh, a town called Corinth. And Paul spent time there training up believers, teaching them about Jesus. And this is what he writes to them in 2 Corinthians about some of the experiences that he's been through. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 28, he says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Paul used to be one of these guys who was doing what was now being done to him. The persecutor becomes the persecuted. It says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, everybody hates him, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. Amen. I have two kids at home. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's a lot that Paul has been through. So if there's anybody, right, if there's anybody who understands that they should have anxiety and worry, don't you think it would be Paul? I've never been shipwrecked at sea, but I don't know that that would be a a moment that you reflect on. And you're like, you know, it's a pretty good time out there. Really enjoyed it, actually. Got a nice little exercise. That probably causes some trauma. Every time he's traveling, remember, he's in over 10,000 miles just by foot alone. And he's constantly wondering, is someone gonna attack me? Is my life gonna end right now? Under persecution and all those different things, I'm sure Paul had many, I mean, we know right here, Paul had many reasons to be anxious and to be worried. And we don't know this from scripture, all right, because it's not, it's not mentioned in scripture, but there is a historical account that says Paul was actually beheaded. There's a, a historian named Eusebius, and Eusebius wrote about what happened historically in Christianity. And in his, some of his writings, we see that Paul was likely killed for his faith Paul was likely beheaded under the command of the Roman emperor Nero, and they likely lost his life because of his faith. Paul had a reason to be anxious and to be worried But in this, because of his radical encounter with Jesus, he writes some words in 2 Corinthians, again, speaking to the believers at Corinth that I think help us so much, even today, in dealing with anxiety and in dealing with worry. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through five, this is what Paul writes. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I'm telling y'all, and as we break this down, this is some of the richest, I love this passage. We could do an entire sermon series on this. We could preach for an hour, uh, a couple hours on just this topic. Don't worry, I'm not going to, but we could. It's so beautiful, it's so rich. And I think as you look at this, it not only speaks to anxiety and worry, but it speaks to so many different things in our lives. And this man, Paul, who had a radical encounter with Jesus, he's saying this is what Jesus would undo. He'd have you stop thinking this way and he'd have you start thinking this way. 
What does he start out with? In verse three he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. I need y'all to know this tonight that there's a battle going on for your life. There's a battle, light against dark, good against evil, that there is an enemy out there named Satan who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your soul. He wants to take that all away. There's a fight going on. You need to first acknowledge that there is a battle. And when it comes to anxiety and worry, some of y'all have been unaware that there's a battle going on and you've been taking blow after blow after blow. You might be 20, 25, 30, and you've lived your whole life in anxiety and you've never fought back. And you're beat up and you're tired and you don't have anything left in the tank. But I'm here to tell you that with God's help, you can fight against this. And what I'm challenging you with today, okay, is that you would start to fight against anxiety and worry. And as you do that, it will not only be a benefit to you, but to everybody who's in your life. You know, when you think about some of the the bravest battles in history, I think about D-Day, right? And we live in such a time where it's like, man, it's hard to even comprehend the scope of what happened in World War II, where 3% of the world's population perished, some 40 million plus civilians were, were killed in World War II, 400 million plus. It's like, man, 3% of the world's population. There was serious evil going on in the world at that time. And so what, what was going on? You know, you have Germany who's occupied much of Western Europe at that time. And they're fighting a battle on their Eastern front against the Soviet army. At that time, it's just, they're fighting one war on one front. And so the Soviet army's pleading like, hey, we've gotta open up another front. And so British, American, and Canadian soldiers, they launched what was called D-Day, Invasion Day. Operation Overlord was what it was called. In this Operation Overlord, what they were gonna do is they were gonna land on the beaches of Normandy in France in an effort to take the attack and the offensive to the Germans. And now that, that we know that, that, that that attack came at a heavy price, that there were many people who paid with their life, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, young adults, who paid their life in order to fight this battle. And what that did, many German uh, military officials say that they knew at that time that that was when the war was eventually gonna be over for them, whenever the Allies successfully take ground into territory in Europe. And so suddenly you have a battle that's going on on the Eastern Front and the Western Front. And what happened was it changed the course and the history of the world. I think that highlights the importance and how much it matters that you get in the fight against anxiety and against worry in your own life. Man, this could be your D-Day, this could be your invasion day where you take the fight back to Satan and understand that there is a spiritual battle going on around you. When we look at verse four, it says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I love what uh, a a biblical scholar, uh, Tony Evans says, he's a preacher as well. He says, Paul isn't talking about physical fortresses. 
of course, but about destructive patterns of thought that lead people astray and hold them hostage to sinful, harmful, and destructive behavior. If we aren't careful, that's what anxiety easily becomes. This destructive pattern of thought and behavior that leads us nowhere and keeps us stuck. And I think that manifests itself in a lot of different ways. The anxiety and worry in your life can sometimes lead people to alcohol abuse, drug abuse. I think that oftentimes the root cause of sin, like engaging in pornography, is not just a simple desire for lust, though I believe that's part of it, that it often expands much deeper than that. Anxiety and worry, I think, play a factor in that in an attempt to self-medicate yourself. We see things like pornography addiction come about. What else could it be? You know what one of the worst things in your life might be? Is that you have no confidence that God has called you to anything. You don't see a plan and you don't see a purpose in your life. You have no confidence. You don't believe in yourself. You don't like the way you look. You don't like the way you talk. You don't like the way you dress. You're not as cool as everybody else. You don't have anything to offer to people. You're not a leader because what do you have to lead with? And I'm here to tell you that that is a destructive pattern of thought in your life. And I think that sometimes worry and anxiety are a root cause of that. And so you're not fighting a battle against physical strongholds. You're fighting a battle against spiritual strongholds. And it's time, right, to take that fight to the enemy with what weapons, though? You notice here that Paul doesn't say what weapons we have. It's like, okay, Paul, like, how are we supposed to know what we're fighting with then? And when we see that, what we gotta do is we've gotta go to other scripture and say, why, why, why did Paul not mention that? Where else do we see what these spiritual weapons are? And I wanna take you to Ephesians chapter six. Paul's writing another book in the Bible here, another letter to the church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians six, one of the most popular passages of scripture, shout out everybody in Awana that grew up in church, vacation Bible school, the armor of God, right? Okay, some of y'all remember that. They cut the hot dogs up and you got like the green ketchup and stuff. If you didn't grow up in a church that did VBS, sorry, it's, uh, you just missed out on some awesome times, but uh, armor of God, armor of God. And with the armor of God, Paul lays out, like we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, we got like our gospel shoes on. But in this, at the end, the last thing that Paul mentions is he said, you have the spear, the, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He's saying the weapon that you do have is the word of God. In the book of Hebrews, which we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, it's probably, uh, it was probably like a sermon that was spoken and recorded. In Hebrews 4.12, which is one of the more popular uh, verses of scripture that you might hear people memorize and whatnot, it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of both soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what do we see here? That the weapon we can use to fight against the schemes of Satan is the weapon of God's word. And I know oftentimes people think that God's word, the Bible, is just some archaic text that's not applicable to our life today. But man, the word of God is living and active. It's the spirit of truth. We don't have to go through life wondering like, what do we use? Like, what are we gonna fight this battle with? What Satan's goal is, is that he's gonna feed you lies. 
you should be worried about that. You should have anxiety. And, and outside of God, there's no reason for us to not be worried and to not be anxious about what's going on. Especially in the world we live in right now. We got viruses, we got wars, we got rumors of war, we got everything going on. Like you should be anxious. You should be worried. But outside, but with God, we have a great hope. What does God's word tell us? Is that we have a future home and a hope in heaven where there's no weeping, no hurting, no pain. So that right there should give us hope for the future. See how what we have to do is we have to take the lie and we have to replace it with truth. God's word is a weapon and what we have to do is we have to take that weapon and we have to replace the lie with truth. What does verse five say? Verse five says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I wonder in here tonight, okay, if you're like me, have you ever, like, you need to sit down and you need to take an audit and look at why am I thinking the way that I am? Do you know what thoughts God cares about? All of them, every single thought that you have. He cares about every single thought that you have. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to make it obedient to Christ. He wants you to make it obedient to truth. He wants you to make it obedient to God's word. And so I wonder, like, I wonder if like, you understand this, is that Satan wants to block the knowledge of truth and the application of God's word in your life. So you're sitting there and you're worrying and you're thinking about things and what you should be doing is instead is replacing that lie with the truth of God's word. That's what you should be doing. And the second thing is this is like, you either don't know the truth or you're not applying the truth to your life. So if you're in here tonight and you're struggling with worry, anxiety, it's weighing you down. And I do wanna acknowledge that there are people that I believe are more susceptible this, to this than others right? It's just like anything else genetically. I think there's people, some of y'all know, like worry and anxiety. I got some worriers and some anxious people in my family. And it seems to be like this family characteristic we seem to pass down from generation to generation. And I want to tell you that like some of y'all might need more help than others, but I believe that the starting point in all treatment options, all plans is it starts with God's word and applying it to your life. That outside of that, there's, there's, that's like the starting point of hope. And so if you don't know the truth of God's word, man, you can't even start to begin that fight. And the second thing I would ask you is like, do you even, are you applying the truth that you do know? That'd be like going to, to battle and you've got a sword right there and you're not gonna use it, right? You're not gonna even use it. That would be what that's the equivalent of. Use the weapons that you've been given. Use the weapons that you've been given. Can I get personal with you for a second and like kind of demonstrate for you what this has looked like in my life? You know, over the last month or so, uh, I kind of had a season where I was a little bit anxious. Can I just tell you all that? Uh, it wasn't like debilitating for me, but it was enough where it was really starting to bother me. And I had two things that were really bothering me, okay? The first one is this, is like, I got, I, I, like I said, I've got two kids, they get sick, then you get sick. And I had a tough time bouncing back from that. I had a sinus infection. It took me like three weeks to get better. I get antibiotics and I'm sitting there wondering, when I don't feel good, I need y'all to know this. I am a baby when I don't feel good, okay? I'll take anything and do anything to feel better when I don't 
feel good. Give me essential oils. I'll take ibuprofen. I'll take antibiotics. You name it, they prescribe it. I'll take it, all right? That might not be the wisest thing ever. I'm just telling you that's where I live. And so I'm wondering here, I'm like worried about it. I'm like, man, God, I, I like got this important time of year. It's back to school time at, at work. We're trying to connect with people and build relationships and all this stuff. I'm like, I gotta be there. I gotta feel good. I gotta preach. I gotta speak. I got roles and responsibilities. And I'm sitting there wondering like, am I gonna get better? And that, that worry, that thought process, it's kind of affecting the way I sleep a little bit because I don't feel good. And I'm like worried and I'm anxious about, am I even gonna be able to sleep at night? Okay, and to be honest with y'all, I just confess this to you, that's been like a worry and like something I've thought about for a long time, okay? It's like, man, God, like, are you gonna help me go to sleep uh, tonight? What if I don't get eight hours of sleep? Am I gonna be okay? Like, that's something that like gets into my head and I start thinking about that. And, and I'm, I'm thinking and I'm like, okay, uh, am I ever gonna get better? And then, you know what? I sit down, I wrote out what I was anxious about. I wrote down some of those things and Matthew 6, 34 uh, came to my mind because I have had a habit of worrying. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for today has enough trouble of its own. I'm like, I need to stop worrying about if I'm gonna get better and all this. I need to focus on today. So I replaced the lie that Satan was feeding me with the truth of God's word. I replaced the lie with truth. The second thing, can I confess this to you? Some of you are like, hey, these aren't even big deal. But what you're worried and anxious about, it doesn't always have to make sense. Sometimes it is silly. And when you say it out loud, you feel stupid. But I've been really worried and really anxious about doing this conference, all right? Because I'm like, I'm one of the leaders of this group in this community. And what if nobody comes? I'm like, I would be so embarrassed. Like we have these ministry leaders from, um, from California and Texas and Arkansas who are coming in to like see how we do things. And, and what if it doesn't look cool? And what if it's not good enough? And what if nobody comes? And what if it's not successful? Like what if we waste a bunch of people in the church's time? And that's dumb to worry about, right? And I wrote down 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which for everybody on our team, we've made that like our semester verse. And it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And in that moment, I just kind of let it go. And I said, you know what? We're gonna do this thing and God, it's not gonna be in vain because it don't matter how many people come, we're gonna do it. We're gonna be faithful and be obedient to what we feel you have called us to as leaders that we're gonna go out and we're gonna go to the highways and we're gonna go to the byways and we're gonna invite people and we're gonna hound people about signing up because it's gonna be two nights where people can come and hear the gospel. And my prayers is it would be the start of something that we do every year that would change the lives of hundreds and thousands of young adults and would spur on revival in our nation. And I'm like, okay, God, come on. I'm in for it. And suddenly I remembered like, it's not about me. It doesn't matter what I do. I just gotta work willingly. I gotta work as hard as I can. And it's God, the rest up to you. It's already gonna be okay because we're doing it in your name. We're gonna honor you through the process. And in those two things, like I'm worried about my health, whatever else, and in this conference, I replaced that lie with the truth of God's word. Wow, what a practice. What a simple thing. And you've got these note cards and uh, I asked you to write down what you, you're anxious, what you're worried about. Maybe you've got it in your head. Jared mentioned a verse last week that really spoke to me as something that Jesus said um, towards the end of his ministry. And it's uh, John 14, 27. And I wanna challenge you to write this down on this card on the flip side of it. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. 
I do not give you to, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Man, that can combat a lot of problems in your life. Circumstances outside of your control, your own personal worries, your own personal anxieties. Jesus says, peace I leave with you and peace I give to you. My challenge to you is, is tomorrow, tonight, what if you just made a list of all the things you're anxious and worried about? And you started to put, where does God's word, what does God's word say about this? And I think there's two important things to think about here. This is why it matters that you're in community. We look around, we've got a big group. We wanna make a big group feel small. That's why we have groups kick off. That's why we wanna invest in you and we wanna talk to you when you're here is because in community, you can be spurred on to know God's word better. The second thing we're passionate about is that you would engage in spiritual disciplines on your own, that as you read God's word, that it'll speak to you. And as you memorize scripture, you can start to recall that and you can start to replace the lie with truth in your life. That's why these things are so important. And I wanna ask you, what is the peace of, of like, what is this peace that Jesus is talking about? There's probably someone in here, and, and, and I don't know who it is, but you would say that, man, I'm anxious about death. I'm anxious about what's gonna happen to me after I die. Did you know that the peace Jesus is talking about is he's saying, hey, I came for you so that you could have eternal life united with God, your creator. And all you have to do is you have to make me the Lord of your life. You have to admit that you have sin in your life and you have to make me the Lord of your life. You're gonna sign over the authority of your life from you to God. That that's the peace that he offers you. That's when we talk about what does it mean to like accept Christ or to begin a relationship with Jesus. All that means is that you call on his name. Maybe it's out of worry, maybe it's out of anxiety. You call on his name and you ask him, like, will you save me? Will you save me from my sin? Will you rescue me from this destructive thought process and pattern that I have in my life? Jesus came for every single one of you. And I wonder, I wonder this, if there's, there's people in here and you, you've, you've been walking around your whole life and you've just had this weight and it comes and goes, but like you've just got this weight, you feel this heaviness from the mistakes you've made, you feel the weight of all the wrongs you've done, the sins you've committed. And it makes you worried and it makes you anxious. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're stuck with it. And you know what Jesus calls us to do? He says, hey, come set that at my feet and you can just drop it. You don't have to worry anymore. I've got your life covered for eternity. I don't have to hold on to it anymore, no matter how big, no matter how small. You just set that at my feet. Jesus came to bear the weight of our sin, the weight of our brokenness. And maybe you've never set that down. You need to come and set it down. And do you know what it looks like to be a believer? It means to come in and set down 
worry, anxiety at the feet of Jesus every day, knowing that he is your Lord and Savior, the author of your life, that he's got a plan and purpose for you and that created you with a purpose on purpose. And you get to come and you get to offload that. Can I tell you, there's nowhere else in the world, there's nothing else in the world that offers that what Jesus did. He came as a gift for you. There's no earning it. You didn't deserve it. He came for you. And he offers all of us that. And so I wanna challenge you and in, in, in what we do here is we have a time of response. I'm gonna pray in just a minute. Do you have anxiety and worry in your life and it's just weighing you down? Man, maybe you need to come and you need to set that down. We have these altars up here and, and what we use these for is just kind of a symbolic act of coming before the Lord. There's nothing special about these pieces of wood other than the act that's going on in your heart. You're coming, maybe you just need to set something down. You don't even have the words to say. We got a whole team of people up here who would be willing to pray with you. And you just need to set that down. Maybe you're like, hey, I wanna start a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you if something's tugging on your heart tonight, it's not an accident. That's God tugging on your heartstrings saying, hey, you know you need this. Don't walk out of here on a Tuesday night without doing business with God. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't put it off anymore. Won't you just come? Say, I need you, Jesus. Let's pray by your head. 